0: We don't get to do that day in and day out. You don't go to work and sing a cappella in harmony with marvelously talented musicians in the body of Christ. You just, you just don't get to do that. And so what those songs and those pieces of life that Dr. Heidi Ledison, what what those do is just feed your spirit, feed your soul. I've I've said before, as as pastor, I get to see you as you sing. You don't get to see me. I get to enjoy seeing the tears and the faces get flushed and the the chins kind of quiver a little bit and the heads go down. Part of that is because there's only one thing. At the end of the day, there's really only one thing that governs your life. There's, There's one governing principle. And, and you can play with that, and you can mess with that, and you can say, well, I got one A and one B and all, but there's really, only one, there's really only one thing that governs and guides your life. And you make every decision based on that one thing. You spend your money based on that principle, you spend your time based on that principle, you identify who you are and what you're all about with that one thing. And were that one thing pulled out of your life more than likely, you wouldn't know who you are or what you're doing, what you're, you're all about. And the reason why Seeky First sits this Sunday is because everything begins to ramp up. This Sunday is the Sunday of get after it and get busy. In our school, it's a, it's, it's a wonderful day because the kids find out who their teachers are. And uh, I've watched Pastor Mike Browbeat, our marvelous principal, Dr. Hollitz, and you know, try to figure out who's got who for a teacher and all that stuff. And Dr. Holtz has kept it, for the most part, I understand, in the lockbox. And uh, so the kids are running around going nuts. Now, the teachers have already gone nuts because they already parsed out where all the naughty little second grade boys are going to go, but that's a, <laughs> that's a different sermon for a different day. But. Our school is about one thing. We have lots of stuff we do. But it's about one thing. It's about winning children and families to Christ. That's the one thing. And we do that with math and science and relationships and athletics. And we do it with music and we do it with chapel and we do it with relationships. And we do it with warmth and grace and kindness and sometimes with discipline. But the goal at the end of the day for our school is that kids know Jesus like this. And we send them back as little infiltrators into your families. And we do that with great intention. One of my favorite stories is a, a, a little guy who came to kindergarten, uh, came to preschool and by kindergarten had won his mom and dad to Christ and his grandma and grandpa to Christ. And when he was in about sixth grade, his mama had an aneurysm and passed away. But she was in Jesus because of what Kyle and his little brother brought home from school. And a marvelous message from that family this week just reminded me of the one, the one thing. Last week was crazy here. We got more stuff going on than you could shake a stick at. We had a funeral for a family, marvelous family, Don Hallstrom, who's the head of county probation. We had supervisors sitting in here Friday and people who you'd recognize from the paper and you to write their names down. You go, I heard of that and I voted for that one. I know the beautiful funeral. And the family was loved and supported, and the music was pretty and soulful. And Yesterday, we, we, we had work going on all throughout the campus. I went to do the, funer- the, the committal out at Fairhaven, but we have new flooring being laid in the preschool, and we have all our trees trimmed, and, and the furiousness of getting the books and all the things in order where they need to be. I told the Lutheran high people, they said, we'd like to come over and be in your sanctuary for our worship service on Monday morning. I said, fine, we'd love to have you. So we decided we'd cook them breakfast, and then after breakfast, we'd have worship over here. Little did we know that in the midst of all that training and all that stuff, that one of their key leaders, that her husband would die from a heart attack about 6 o'clock last Sunday night in his home, just gone. Now, I don't know if you know it, but we're the only church of size that can handle a funeral for a 52-year-old man in the Lutheran community. So immediately after the breakfast, we're going to spin on a heel. And we're going to love that family in the way that only St. John's can do. And then after we get everything done this next week, we're going to have our all-staff retreat. And in the midst of the diffusion of all of those things, I'm reminded there's a confluence of only one Thing. There's only one thing. Seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all this stuff will be added to you as well. One one thing. Not two, not three, not fifty. One thing. His kingdom and his righteousness. One, One piece. With that, life comes together, and without that, life spins apart. So we get to pause and meditate. And because there's nothing left in this ser- service except this sermon, I've gone five minutes. I can go another 25. I'm fired up and ready to go. I had another six ounces of coffee. <laughs> what is it that guides your life? What is that piece? For some, it's getting everything right. You have to have the right education, the right pathway, the right job, the right spouse, the right children in the right school, doing the right things, so that somehow everything works out in this idyllic way. And that when you turn around, you say, I've got it all together. I've lined it up. And then and then all of a sudden, something just smacks your plan. And you say, wait a minute, my kid isn't Perfect. We've got a little thing going on here. and We've got to work this out. Now that slows this down, this down and this down and puts pressure on my marriage. So the one thing that organizes my life, this, this, this idea that everything's together and looks good is now fractured. And I don't know how to recover from that fracture. Because accumulating the stuff that comes with making sure everything looks great has worn me out and made me anxious. I don't like the word stress. The word stress has been overused. It's like the word fine. Rudy, ask me how I'm doing. Oh, I'm fine. Ask me how I'm doing. I'm fine. Now, what does that mean? Nothing, right? And if I tell you I'm stressed, you might be able to say, well, he's not in a good shape, but that doesn't speak to it. I like the word anxious. Anxious just sounds like nails on a chalkboard. How you doing? I'm anxious! (laughs) I hear you saying, you're a reflective listening, right? I hear you saying you're anxious. Uh, You're right, I'm anxious! See, when we set our lives up so it looks good and we ignore this part, that drives anxiety. For others, there's this sense of approval that they organize their lives by. I I I have to have someone say, I'm okay. And if they don't say, I'm okay, and I don't hear I'm okay enough times, then then I'm never going to be okay. So in my job, I organize my thoughts and my work so that everyone will say, I approve. In our relationships with home and family, we organize them so it all kind of comes down to us and they say, I approve. It's all good because I approve of you. And the trouble with that is there's there's no amount of, of approval of other people that fills up your soul and takes away anxiety. Because the moment someone makes a sarcastic comment or doesn't give to you the homage of the approving comment that you think you deserve, then you become insecure. And the sucking, vacuuming vortex of approval drives anxiety. Well, what did he mean by that? He's the boss. And and what did she mean when she said? And all of a sudden, we feel insecure. And worn out and anxious because instead of one thing that guides us together, it's diffused into a myriad of things. And there's just no way that we can hold on and keep order of all those things because there's only one. Some people have an equilibrium in their lives and everything that they do, their founding principle or the governing principle of their lives is controlling that equilibrium. So they control the circumstances in their lives. They control the decisions in their lives. And the most painful piece of that is they seek to control the people in their lives. Now, I don't know if you're one of those people, and and if you are, God bless you, because you make life really hard on the rest of us. What are you going to do for Thanksgiving this year? Well, we have to go to my mom's house. Well, why do we have to go to our mom's house? We've been married 20 years, do I have to tell you why we have to go to my mom's house? Because she'll pitch a fit if we don't go because it's her little way of controlling the family with a passive aggressive comment, with a little slight, with a little something, for a while, we, we, we nod and laugh because that's just kind of the way family works. That's the way that friendship works. And, and then eventually something calcifies in our heart. We say, yeah, I'm done with that. You will not make my decision for me. This year, just to show you that we're independent, we're going to Hawaii. And we're not just going for Thanksgiving Day. We're going for two weeks. So how do you like that? We're in charge of our, we're in control of our life. We're independent and all of that stuff. And if you want to see someone who the, the, the one thing in their life is control, you want to see them freak out? Watch as the relationships dissolve and crumble around them. Because the gathering of control and the pain that goes with losing control, it's the one thing for them. What's your one thing? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He doesn't say, seek first all the things, and then I'll give you the righteousness. He says, seek first the righteousness, and all this stuff will come afterward. God first. Our daughter, who I saw snuck into church with her mom today, Sarah went to APU. And while she is at APU, her worst nightmare was true. We told story after story after story about Sarah and soccer and all those things. And now that she's here, I've got to watch this a little carefully as you know. kind of now she's grinning at me. That's good. <laughs> we made an investment sending her to Azusa Pacific University. And I don't regret $1 that we spent or $1 that we have to pay back. God first. This week, I talked to one of the men who will be coming for our all-staff retreat, a former youth pastor from Orange Presbyterian named Jim Burns, and Jim is something else. There was a kind of a rat pack of youth pastors in Orange County when I was a kid, and I wasn't a part of that because I was a little too young, and now these guys are in their 60s, and you just, you just never catch them. And it was guys like Ridge Burns and Chap Clark and Doug Fields and Jim Burns. And, and these guys are now the kind of the proud papas of the youth movement in the 70s and the 80s in Orange County, which was a phenomenal thing. Actually, your former youth pastor, Byron Porish, was a part of that crew. And so I called Jim Burns on a whim in San Clemente. And I said uh, to his to his assist. And I said, could you tell him that. We'd like at St. John's Orange to have him come and lead a portion of our all-staff retreat. I say, be sure you tell him it's orange, and he'll smile. So the phone rings, and it's her, and she says, can you please hold for a call from Dr. Burns? I said, absolutely. She said, I just want you to know he smiled when he heard St. John's Orange. He said, "It, it brought him back. You know, it brought him back to where he began. And... And where he started, and we began to talk about the similarities and the commonalities of mission and ministry, and and the one thing, and all of those pieces, and 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 I asked him about his family, and he asked me about mine, and 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 he goes to his, he teaches at a zoo specific university. His daughter went to a zoo specific university, and I believe she's almost done. And uh, his daughter and my daughter would have went to school at the same time. Not that they would know each other, but. But we talked about our children's experiences. And one of the very cool things that my daughter said was her heart was strengthened. As she went to school there. First things first. Jim Burns then told me the story about Dr. Wallace, who was sitting in the gym at the Felix Center, watching a basketball game. And he was called to be the president of the university. He was thinking and swirling about vision and direction and all of those things. And, and on the wall of the gym was painted, God first. And Dr. Wallace said, that's it, God first. It's God first on the soccer field. It's God first in the chapel. It's God first in the classroom. It's God first to help and care for students who are struggling in that time of life. It's it's God's first as as professors reach out and care for students. It's, It's God first as there's conflict and painful things that go on. It's God first at a specific university because there's only one thing. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all this stuff will be added unto you. His kingdom, the kingdom of God initiated in Christ. The man preaching, Jesus of Nazareth there in Matthew 6, he's the focus of the kingdom. He's the one guy who ushered in the one kingdom that brought focus and vitality, who rules that kingdom not with judgment or with a a, a stick in his hand, pounding his people into submission. Rather, he rules with love and kindness. Sitting with that with that group of people that day, preaching the best sermon ever preached in the history of the world, focused on how to love and care, the things that are blessed and the things that are bringing a group of people from this to this, because there's only one thing embodied in Jesus, his life on the cross for you and me, the one thing, grace of God in that kingdom, our sins forgiven our lives restored, our hurts healed, our broken pieces mended together. One thing, one kingdom, and one righteousness. My father played football in high school. He was a super good football player. This was in the 40s and 50s. I mean, uh, he was born in 34, so by 1950, he'd be 16 and and that whole thing. But he, he, he played football in Barron, Someone grabbed me after church. They said, You know where Barron, Wisconsin is? I said, I've been to Barron, home of Bush's baked beans. It's phenomenal. I have one Hardee's, one Iron Works, and that's about it. It ain't much. But well, my dad had a jersey, and on the jersey was number 39. It was maroon and gold, and it was faded, and it was little. And, and my brother and I would put that jersey on, and then we'd play football. And we'd say, I'm dead. I'm dead. Throw me the ball. I'm dead. Give me the ball. I'm dead. I'm dead. And there was something that just made you tough when you wore that jersey. Throw the ball. Go deep. Break the tackle. There was just something that made you more confident. I don't know if if it was the the coldness of the Wisconsin was uh, uh, woven into the fiber. I don't know if it was the number. I don't know if it was magic pixie dust from barren Minnesota and bushes of baked beans. I don't know. But there was something about putting that on. And even when it was pulling over little tummies, or big tummies, there was something special about that jersey when we put it on that reminded us of our dad. It's kind of like the righteousness of God. Little Ella put on the righteousness of God today. You put on the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. God does not look at you and say, what a loser. God looks at you and says, you are my dear child. He looks at you and says, I love you more than you could ever love yourself. I approve of you more than you could ever approve yourself. And the seal of that is my death on the cross for you. One thing, wear the jersey of the Savior. With the cross emblazoned across the heart. To mark you as one who's been redeemed in Jesus. One. One thing. Your lives and my lives are going to go nuts in the next three weeks. And we're going to take a quick respite on Labor Day weekend. We're going to take a big deep breath. And we're going to (gasps) go. And we're going to blow and go until Thanksgiving. Guarantee. Had Dr. Hollitz up in the front row of the balcony giving me some of this. In all of the confluence of that stuff, don't get lost in the turmoil. Let the stuff be the stuff. And let the main thing be the main thing. Seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all the stuff day by day will work out just fine. Would you sing with me? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, God first primary in our lives grant us Lord not to lose that what we have today we hold on to because your spirit continues to convince us by your word spoken in us and among us that we belong to you and that fear and anxiety are replaced with faith and hope be with us in these next kind of chaotic three weeks Help us remain grounded to you in the middle of all the stuff we have to do. Allow us to work our way back through all of the tasks and decisions and things that we made, and that at the end of the day, you would reach out with a warm hand, that you would draw us back to yourself, your kingdom, your righteousness, your love. In Jesus' name we pray.